Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. James. What's up, Steve? I have learned that I need my three closest friends in recovery to have rhyming names. <laughs> so, James. Yeah, you're out, bro. Brain, you're, uh, you're out. N- wait a you're minute. Out. We, we can get there. <laughs> or legally change your name. These are options. Okay. Killer episode uh, with our good friend Hunter. So, what was, you know, it's fun for me about this one is we have so many people come on authentic and real. Yeah. But just to watch him grow over time. It's been awesome. Yeah been super Love, cool yeah so he first started interacting with unashamed and afraid while back yeah. uh applied for a scholarship that's happened right. and yeah. so a journey we've kind of been able to see and watch there's a real authenticity there you know when when you can see people and know people and be like oh, oh yeah. yeah oh yeah so super cool journey um single guy yep that's more of an atypical story for us but but i think super relevant to many of our listeners for sure yeah so for thank sure. you Thank Hunter for coming on. Like, super awesome. So if you want a vulnerable and honest episode, this is the one. And if, like Hunter, you would like to engage with us more and uh, p- apply for a scholarship, go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. We are 501c3 nonprofit. Um, and we raise that money to create scholarships for resources for people like Hunter and others in order to be able to do the recovery things. And if you would like to join us in the bonus content with Hunter, um, where we deep dive the episode, different things, soapbox, all of that, um, and you'd like to help us with this movement, we invite you to go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate and become an outsider. Our outsiders are those who are bold, accepted, and unashamed and help us and make this whole movement happen. Also give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the whole world finds us and we can continue to share the message of hope with more people. And join and interact with us on social media at unashamedunafraid. And with that, we will get in the studio with the luscious locks of our friend Hunter. Hunter, what's up, my friend? Hey, hey. Oh, hi, James. Glad to be here. Thanks uh, for noticing. So I want you to know that tonight I've been giving both James and Chris, um, we record multiple episodes, Hunter knows we got to together, crap about being old men. And they pointed out that I'm the baldest of the group. And then Hunter walks in with his luscious locks. Very luscious. And, and, and now I'm, uh, you know... I'm I'm two seconds away from just shaving it all off with Jaren. Uh, and he called you old. He did. Do you want to just? I yeah. mean, I noticed you kind of skirted around that I guess, this is, a, that I guess one. this is an episode about repair now. But um, <laughs> uh, so uh, Hunter, as we were kind of getting ready and sitting down, you said you were nervous. Yes. So what are you nervous about? This is just a new experience for me in general. Like I walked in and I was like the microphones and the people all around and the system it's new um sharing my story is getting easier but i don't know this is very public which i find exciting it's what i want but i'm also aware of how public this is and how easy it is to access for anyone yeah welcome to being unashamed thanks is there like that other voice in the head in your head like what's the nervous voice saying i've been thinking about it today 
because I've been nervous throughout the day. And I think it's a couple things. One is like, what if something I share causes some stirring with people who hear my story, especially people who know me, people in my family. Sure. And then to 100%, just to like be honest, I feel like I have a lot to offer, but I've been worried that I'll come and I'll do a podcast episode and it'll be super okay. Just a super meh episode that's kind of boring. And I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want to have a boring episode. Truth. Truth. Yeah. We have a whole list of people that we've just shamed and cut off. Yeah. So, and yeah. so I'm hopefully you don't make that list with it. <laughs> I don't, so, I've never heard a boring episode. I'm kind of ashamed and afraid of you, Hunter. I haven't, no. Wow, wow. That, that was some gaslighting <laughs> marketing right there. Whatever. So you, you, you said something and I just want to go right to it, friend. Um, you said, I feel like I have something to offer. And I feel like the feeling in this room changed for a second when you said that. And I want to go back to that. What is it that you feel like you have to offer? Like despite all the nervousness and the like, ah, and the knots in the stomach, like you have fought through all of that to offer something. So what's on your heart that you feel you want to offer? Spent most of my life feeling like addiction was this huge curse and just wishing that I didn't have to deal with it. And why was I dealing with it in ways that other people weren't? But being able to be much farther on the other side is when I'm able to look at it and be grateful. I would never want to do it again. I wouldn't want to go back in time and go through all that again. But I'm glad now because I 100% think that my ability to help people is so much better than it would be otherwise. And that's what I'm excited for. Um, my hope is to kind of take a page out of your guys' book and find ways to put my voice out there. I love helping individuals that are close to me, but I also would love to help dozens or hundreds of people wherever I can. And I do have a sense and a building confidence that I'm designed for it. I have the ability for it and I could be really good at it. Yeah, love that. So when, when did the curse start? How did you get cursed? Oh, I was about six years old. I discovered masturbation by accident in the shower. I had no idea what it was. I just knew I liked how it felt. And somehow, even at that point, being six years old, something felt wrong about it. And so I didn't want anybody in my family to know. I didn't want to tell anybody. And so I just kept it to myself and I would try to stop doing it. And so at first I could go a while, but then I'd always end up doing it again. And so, yeah, that's where it started. And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't really know what I was doing. And so you never masturbated again. And now you're here to share the story. No. Um, that continued. And I don't know at what point, um, somewhere in that age range, six, eight, before 10, at some point it clicked that the feeling I had while masturbating in the shower um, was the same feeling when I noticed sexual stimulation from seeing a female. Like when I thought of breasts, I'm like, oh, that feeling is similar to the feeling I have when I masturbate in the shower. So then it progressed into me going on the family computer and like typing in innocent words, hoping that some kind of image would pop up. Um, just going and typing like summer, maybe somebody in a swimsuit would pop up. Or just the word hot, because that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And just started with pictures of people in their underwear. Yeah. I played that. I, was call I call that the browsing game. It does kind of feel like a game. So what did, how's your growing up, like religious, family, we're talking about this, we're not talking about this. So what was going on around you as you're having this experience? So I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
have a really active family. That was a super important thing to me as a kid. I always wanted to be really good with that. I still don't know. I really don't. When I was six years old, I don't know how I knew that something was wrong, but I definitely knew that there was something because of what my family had taught me or because of um, my religion that looking at pictures of people without clothes was not okay. I knew that that wasn't okay and terrified to tell my family because kind of my dad's typical reaction is anger and a lot of, of yelling and just putting you down. And I didn't want to know what would happen if I said anything. It was easier just to avoid it. Because you may or may not get that reaction. So I might as well not talk about it. I, I wouldn't even say may or may not like I would. You knew for sure you would. Yeah. Okay. Can you relate to that, James? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> well, this ain't my story. It's his story. My stepdad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, my stepdad ruled by fear. And so uh, that was the overarching, like, if, if I look back at my childhood, my, you know, uh, just the word that I would use to describe that relationship is fear. Uh, that's, the, that's the theme of me, my dad. Fear is the word that I would put to describe how all that went. So to me, there was no safe thing to talk to him, even if it was completely innocent. Um, I had no reason to talk to him about anything at all because even that was dangerous that was clouded by fear yeah i don't know if i would use the term fear or not i mean there was fear i feel like mine was ruled by expectation mm-hmm. and i don't know i don't know if all my siblings feel this way i think some of them do but i in particular expectations it's perfectionism like that's how i function okay. that's how i did well and i felt a lot of expectation on me particularly from dad and when you weren't meeting expectation, he wanted you to. And even then, I knew it was because dad wanted me to do well. He wanted me to be successful, but that was enforced with, with yelling and with anger and telling me that I was wrong. And if I had any thought that wasn't the same as his, telling me until I would stop arguing that I had to feel the way that he did. Yeah, so the lack of being perfect was met with shame and violence. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, my, I mean, my dad was, my parents are more of a shrink and abandonment scenario than like the getting big. Not that it didn't happen sometimes, but I know for me part of the, and I, and I'm curious what your experience was Hunter. So I remember with mom and dad, you know, it's like, oh, like April, my sister, like let the dog out and like, that's a big problem. So like this, what I'm doing is way worse than that. So like, so I, I had a lot of the comparing game cause I had, you know, the, I had a lot of the perfectionism and expectations. And so for me, it's like, wow, getting a 98 on the test is terrible. I feel like I just got a 70. So for sure, we're not talking about this. Yeah. I, I relate to that. Yeah. I, cause I would get pulled aside. Like if I had a grade that was just below an A, um, my dad would like pull me aside and be like, you're smarter than this. You need to, you need to get this up. Like you can't let this continue. And so, so that's there was a, kind there. of a micromanagey feel to that. It felt like it was specific to each of my siblings. And so I had, and still struggle a little bit with it. Shame in comparison to my other siblings. Like I knew that my oldest sibling is, I was kind of thinking of as like being street smart and witty. And then my next brother has super loyal friends and a super big heart. And then my older sister is extremely hardworking. 
my younger sister is so talented and dad would talk about how she could become famous with her voice. And then my little brother, which is kind of the one I struggle with the most good with girls, natural leader. Everybody loves him. Things don't bother him. Doesn't get stressed. And I knew that what all my other siblings were hearing about me, which I wasn't hearing was Hunter smart. So yeah, I better get perfect grades. And if any other kid at school has a grade a little bit higher than mine, I felt like I had nothing. Like I wasn't smart and I wasn't any of the other things. Yeah. Well, I think that's such a good description of um, how shame works because we talk about shame as a name call of like, you're an idiot or you're dumb. And, and it's like, wow, that made me feel so bad about myself. Right. But then like being called like, you're the smart one. Like that's also a shame label. Like you can't be Hunter, son of God. You have to be the smart one. Yeah. And so I think a lot of times I'll often use the saying, you know, that shame happens in love. And I had one person arguing with me and they're like, no, shame is never love. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. But people think that they're loving when really what they're doing is shaming. Um, And so I imagine your dad's intent was not like, I'm going to label the children and they will have to base their life on this label and earn it. And their self-esteem will be destroyed. I'm sure the heart and mind of the family reason was like, oh, this is a compliment. This is an encouragement. And so I, I think what you're sharing is just something a lot of people experience. I, in my family, I was told I'm the one who's not a problem. Like, oh, thank you for being the easy one and not being a problem. Like, so probably shouldn't tell you that I'm sleeping with girls before going on my mission. <laughs> that would not fit the narrative of that would not get the grade. So uh, we're stuck. That's another one I, I vibe with, the whole golden child thing. Um, I was told I was, I was the golden child just cause dad liked that I was smart and dad's the smart one also. Uh-huh. Mm. Um, and it's interesting. I've talked to a few friends lately and they're always surprised. Like I didn't realize people would be so surprised when I tell them that I liked being called a goody two shoes in high school. They're like, you did. And I'm like, yeah. They're like, why? And I'm like, because that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be seen as like, Oh, that's Hunter. He's super good. I like. I wanted to be the most spiritual one in my family. I was hoping that my family was thinking like, oh, maybe Hunter will become like an apostle or something. You being the golden child, you were like, yeah, I'll take that on. Yeah. It was something. I mean, it's so right. much better than, than nothing. I get that though, because for me, yeah. like you, like I have some talent in me. And so, you know, athletics was one and that worked for me because I actually could make the team and I could score some points. So, oh, if that's how dad loves you, Okay, because I can do that. So getting sucked into that of like, maybe I really can earn it. And yeah. Well, it was difficult because it wasn't even, I get the good grade and then I get dad's approval. It was more like I get the good grade and I don't get in trouble. That's how I know. There wasn't a whole lot of, wow, I'm really proud of you for doing this. My mom probably said it. I really, I'm sure she did, but couldn't, can't even remember it, like didn't process because I was just so focused on well, what does dad think? Yeah. How can I meet those expectations? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so how did that shape God for you? Dude, that's totally my question. Okay. You sorry. know that that's my question for James, the show. anything you'd like to add at this injuncture before we leave his growing up years? Yeah. I was thinking, um, Hunter, what kind of, who was God to you at this stage? Like, how did this, as you're looking back, how did this shape your view of God? Without even realizing it, 100% expectation. Out the wazoo. That's who God was. God was also yeah. high expectation. God. Yeah. God was, you do well if 
your prayers look right and you're reading your scripture. You can't just read them. You have to be studying them. Mm -hmm. You have to be doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing. Uh, same thing, except for on the spiritual realm. So as a result, I never felt good enough for my dad with, with school or with any of the other things I wish I could do like my siblings. Never, maybe not never, very rarely felt good enough for God. And when it happened, it was fleeting because, well, I'm not as spiritual as I should be. And, mm -hmm. oh, I'm doing this thing. Oh, I made a dirty joke, even though I'm 13 years old. And that's what 13-year-old boys do when they're together. And Yeah. So you but not if you're a goody two-shoes. No. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So perfectionism is basically the lens through which you are trying to live and work your life. Yeah. With God, with parents. I'm imagining lots of other spots too. Everything. Yeah. yeah. That's how you're getting your, I guess, worth. Yeah. So how'd that work out for you? Just great. I definitely didn't struggle with an addiction or end up on a sexual addiction podcast or have to go to any counseling or anything. So mm -hmm. really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sarcasm goes well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, disclaimer on the podcast, sarcasm. Disclaimer. Um, I didn't realize how much of a struggle it was until I was in my 20s. Like, I didn't realize that I was, like, dying inside. I had no idea. But that's really what was going on. Tell us what it means to be dying inside. I was pretty out of tune with my emotions as a teenager. Um, didn't realize it. But then as I started tapping into it, because I didn't, I didn't want this to be a part of my life. I wanted to be done. I kind of had this, this idea in my head that by the time I graduated high school, surely I would be done. I wouldn't be looking at porn anymore. Like I just, I figured, well, as I'm about to graduate high school and it's still happening, I was like, uh, okay, so I don't know if this is ever going to stop. Um, and so once I started realizing that, and I started realizing that it was messing with a lot of things, like the way I viewed women and the way that I felt about myself and how I didn't feel good enough at anything, Crushing weight. That's kind of how it feels. So what do you do? What do you do when you feel crushing weight? You go look at more porn. It eases it for a minute. It does. Yeah. A minute. And that's the problem. It gets to the point that it only eases it for a minute. So then you look at porn again. Five, six times in the same day. If your life's a movie and we're seeing you in this pattern, right? The stuckness of like not earning it. Tell us when it changed. There's a few pivotal moments, I suppose. I, I really started trying to do something before my mission. Met with my stake president. He set me up with an LDS family services therapist and started doing better. And I felt good. I remember the six months before my mission was the happiest time I'd had in my life up to that point because I felt much more in tune with God and much more spiritual. And then I got on my mission and four months into it, struggled with it again, asked to meet with a counselor. So where'd you go on your mission? I was in Ogden, Utah. It's an exciting place. Grew up in Oklahoma. So um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Utah being like the Mecca of the Latter-day Saint Church. So missionaries go all over the world. Just naming your sarcasm. But yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so at this point I'm working on it, but I, I'm not making real progress. So I got home from a mission and I decided I'd just, I thought I was kind of done. I got home from my mission. I was like, oh, I'm feeling good. And that didn't happen. So I really honestly just wanted to dive into it and fix it. So I went and talked to my bishop in Oklahoma, and he introduced me to SAL, or Sexaholics Anonymous Lifeline, a 12-step group. And it was cool because it was hosted right in the church building. And that's where I first started getting 
real exposure. The real change still didn't happen, but I started getting exposure. Exposure to? Uh, to this world, the world that you guys are involved in, the 12-step world, the addiction recovery, recovery world. world. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then when I came to Utah to go to school, I was like, well, I'm going to go to an SAL group. And I, I don't know, 12-step for me, I think is good. I think a lot of people benefit from it. I, for me, it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not the end game. But what 12-step did was introduce me to things. And I kept hearing people talk about counselors. And I kept hearing this word Lifestar being thrown around. And so I, I called Lifestar. And they said, well, we have this guy. He's uh, Steve Shields. He works with church leaders and whatnot. And so we started meeting. Um, so the exposure was good. And I was looking at my journals. I believe I started meeting with you in 2020. Um, and I had, I had my rock bottom moment in October of 2020. And for me, that is when things actually started shifting. Like real healing started then because you don't ever want to experience that again. You know, when you hit that moment, it hurts too much. It's not worth it. And, and I think, um, you know, you described what it was like, as we, you know, just said previously, it's like looking at the porn gives me this short term numbing agent. Right, like I can take the pain out enough, but those rock bottom moments challenge that narrative, right? Yeah. So what'd you do with that? I'm trying to think how to conceptualize the feeling. It's just kind of like never again. But the problem is never again before meant I'm going to white knuckle the heck out of it. I'm gonna try really hard. This meant I don't know what to do. But I'm going to find out. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go to whatever counseling, do whatever thing. And um, it's that do whatever it it takes moment. Do whatever it takes. That shift in the mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And so the timing for counseling with someone who's actually specialized, which is a big thing for me, the LDS family services therapists were good. And I'm grateful for them. I really liked them, but the specializing was what I needed. And so then being exposed to it and just saying, okay, I'll do it. I'll do whatever this is. And so then I started learning about trauma and that's when I started realizing, oh, there's a lot of things in my life that hurt. So what, um, what, what felt risky to you as you, um, you know, he's talking about the do whatever it takes. Right. And I think that do whatever it takes, it's risky, right? Like, I, I think that's, you know, people, I think sometimes have the very false narrative that, um, when we're operating in our addiction, we're like, we're so happy. Like I'm not getting caught. So like, he, 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 I have my cake and I eat it too. You know? Which, uh, if you believe that, I'll just crush that for you really quick. No one's happy in their addiction. I didn't know there were people um, that believe that. I don't oh, believe that. No, oh, sure. I never believe that. Uh, yeah, that's not a thing. Um, and so, but you know, from the outside, it's like, that's why you're hiding it. Because it's a case, it's like, no, there, it's trapped. I don't know how to get out, right? And and uh, uh, stuck there. But then there's that, that, you know, the managing of addiction. That's like, <sighs> I actually feel like the pain of continuing to use feels safer kind of the devil, you know, versus the devil you don't know. Right. Yeah. And, and so I love what you're saying, like real recovery, like you were like stepped into these active choices to do it differently. So what did you do differently? Like what were the risks that you took? The emotional diving in, I would say I trauma was, I don't know. I hadn't been exposed to that. And so, the, first, the risk was just getting a counselor, because I never had paid for it before. 
And so now I was going to pay for it. And my, my bishop and my ward offered to pay for half of it, bishop being a leader at the church. Yep. And pastor. Uh, yeah. yeah and, yeah. but I was still going to have to pay for it. And that's a scary thing because I'm a college student and I'm not, I'm living with grandma, so I have some money, but still, I don't, that's just a, it's just different. That was a big thing. And because every college kid is like, I want to spend my money on self development and counseling as oh, opposed true. to like a long border going on a date. Yeah, you know how many people I've talked to that are my age since then that they're like, okay, like what helped you get better? What helped you healing? And I'm like, a lot of counseling. And they're like, oh yeah, I don't, not sure if that's the thing for me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. I'm sure, I'm sure it's not the thing for you. Um, because it's, it's hard to pay for it and hard to commit the time to it and to commit sure. the emotional energy to it. So that was a risk. Um, and then deciding to work with it, deciding to do things like move on to, to go to a group. Deciding to go to a counselor was like admitting I was crazy. Yeah. Like I am crazy. Yeah. That's why I have to go see somebody, a professional now. And it was scary to, to do that. I didn't want to admit I was crazy. I didn't want to be crazy. I don't know. Well, yeah, you're supposed, you're, 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 you're supposed to be perfect. Two shoes, just get A's. Yeah. 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 Not the kid who's so addicted to porn that he has a hard time getting anything done and then has to go get counseling. Yeah. So what'd you do with that? I just did everything I could. Um, I think vulnerability, honesty was huge for me. I found some people I could be honest with. So my good friend, Barry, he's a guy I met on my mission. Um, he's, you know, he's in his seventies. He just loves helping the missionaries. I don't really know how it started. I just, I was starting to open up about where I was at and starting to tell people. Um, I'd gotten a little exposure because as I started working with like a 12 step group that was in the, the stake I was going to, I was invited to do a little interview over the phone with someone from the church about how doing family history worked helped me with my pornography addiction. And so I was just kind of in the state of starting to be more open. And Barry's kind of the first person I was like completely open with. And I just started by talking to him and then I started calling him. And to this day, I call him almost every day on my way to work. I work grave shifts. And I found someone that didn't judge me no matter what I told him. Mm. Like, it wasn't like my dad where mm -hmm. I'm scared because I'm going to tell him and he's going to get angry. And his response, my dad found out that I was looking at porn. So, like, I've hardly talked to my dad about it. I talked to my mom way more. When my dad found out, his response was, we were at a restaurant, it's kind of busy. And so, while we're waiting to be seated, he comes and he sits next to me. With, and he, like, kind of leans a little bit towards me and he goes, you know your problem? Yeah, you need to stop that. Well, didn't talk to dad about it at all after that for years. Dang. Just a pause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know that problem? You need to stop. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Because oh, I thanks had tried. For the advice. Oh, <laughs> that's what I needed to do. Yeah. Well, but even I think this is one of those moments that I think you have read, yeah. James. Like, we either have to laugh about it or cry about it. Yeah. Yeah, for reals. Right. Because, because just the... Um, well, the fatherlessness of that. What was that like for you? With... Dad. That moment. Yeah, yeah. That mo just that moment. I just internally, I was like, I am not going to talk to him about it anymore. Because what I did know was that I tried as hard as I could. And so it was like having somebody say, you haven't tried. You yeah. have not been working on this. You haven't done anything. You need to try. And I'd known that I had tried. I still was beating myself up for not trying hard enough, but it hurt. It was super invalidating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially if the narrative was, you're the smart one. 
Yeah. You should have figured it out by now. So if I just didn't tell dad and he didn't know where I was at and he didn't know how often I was looking at porn and how good or bad I was doing, then I didn't have to talk to him about it. So I didn't. And it's funny. I talked to my mom. I've talked to her a pretty good amount and people would be surprised. I'm like, yeah, I talked to my mom about my porn problem. And they're like, really? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking Weird. to dad. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I'm, just laugh. Sim- I'm again, laughing, similar experience, yeah. you know, for me. So I'm just like, yeah. Like, I just feel like if your story and my story had a baby, be Hunter's story. What? So, uh, be, so because where I want to go, what I want to name is, um, as a good hero child, earning it perfectionist myself, um, which I'm curious about with you and your experience, what your experience uh, was kind of entering recovery and starting recovery is for me, I'm like, man, I just got to earn it. God's love, acceptance from everyone else. And so then I'm like getting to recovery because I'm like, oh, this is going to destroy me. And then I get into recovery and I'm like, oh yeah, I can do recovery. Perfect. And I just added recovery to the list of things I was going to perfect. And so, you know, I tell people like, oh, I came forward. I wasn't caught. And, you know, I chose my own recovery, which that's true. But looking back on it now, I know large parts of what was driving that was my perfectionism. That I'm like, well, if I'm going to be in recovery, I'm going to do the therapy program and the thing. And, 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 because just like I was doing perfectionism everywhere else. So how did that wrestle, did that wrestle with perfectionism follow you into recovery? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So what'd that look like for you? I mean, because that was the, that was the thing with school was this perfection was the thing with my mission. I was so worried about following every rule and doing everything I was supposed to. And so, yeah, as I go into 12 step, I have to do all of it. And it gets to the point that it, it's so stressful and it's so hard to do it perfectly. I'm like not even moving in the steps. And sometimes I wouldn't work on it because it's overwhelming. But I did feel that it had to, to be perfect. And I think that's part of the reason that it was good to move on to the, the, the trauma and the shame side of counseling. Because with the 12-step, it was kind of ease. I never really thought about this till right now as we're talking about it. But I think I looked at it the same way. I would look at school and my mission of, well, I need to do every single step and then I hear all these guys in groups say kind of the same thing. So I should be doing that thing since they're all saying that. That's stressful. Yeah. An outline to perfect your recovery. And, and did you do therapy perfect then as you did your recovery and stuff? Yeah. No. Well, honestly, one of the best parts of recovery for me, it's like one of the best things that helps me now is just letting it not be perfect. Mm-hmm. Even like simple things. Like I have this long hair and I have a little bit of facial hair and that like one thing, I know my dad doesn't like my long hair. It's not, I wouldn't say it's completely rebellious. It's more of just doing something because I want to and not worrying about it. Sure. But like even at my school, I'm not technically supposed to do it. And it's, I don't think it's a rebellious thing. It's more just letting myself not have to be perfect following every single line all the time. A reminder to yourself that you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. Because I was a kid that I would never swear. You could have cut my arm off and I would have been like, gosh, dang it. <laughs> Fudgesicle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> dank Farrick. Yeah, this mortal wounding has me so ticked. And so now it's weird to talk to people and I'll be like, yeah, I've, uh, l- lately I've, I've sworn in prayers a few times. Just because I wanted God to know how I was feeling. Or like, I told God I was angry and was really mad. And it kind of throws people off and I'm like, whoa, I'm used to being the person thrown off when I'm like, well, you're not supposed to do it that way. 
Yeah. And it's been healing. It's been healing to just be human. Yeah. And to share your human experience with God. Mm-hmm. And to, and to know that he's, he's not mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, God of expectations, who is God now? We're still figuring that out. There's yeah. a little bit more distance. I, I feel like he's just kind of the God who listens and the God who's there. Whenever I am willing or ready to, to speak or put forth effort. I don't feel a whole lot of shame around if I do things perfectly, how often I'm praying, how often I'm looking at scriptures, how long it's been since the last time I looked at porn. I don't feel shame around those things. And that's cool because I remember doing work and we figured out uh, kind of my four shame core messages. And it was that I'm unworthy, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not worth it and that I'm out of control. And this year has been rough for me. So I've been like going through my trauma and going through my shame and shifting it. And as I looked at it, I realized one shame message has almost entirely gone away. And that was, I don't feel unworthy anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I speak to God the way I want to speak to him. And that's nicer than feeling like I can't say certain things to him because I have to do it in an outlined way. When I think again, going back to you're talking about the facial hair or whatever, like it's not to try and bird flip everyone choosing to choose choice for you as opposed to do it the way perfect hero child hunter is supposed to do it. 100%. What are you working on right now in this imperfect recovery journey? I want to change the world. So what's the first bite you're going to take? Wait, I want to know. I want to go to the why. I want to, I want to go to your why. I've known for a while that I want to work in psychology. I got back from my mission and I decided, yeah, I want to be a therapist. And I thought maybe I'll work in addiction. And then as I started doing my own therapy and own counseling, I thought, yes, I want to do addiction counseling. And I've always thought this stuff was cool. I, you know, the, the workshops in Hawaii, I was like, whoa, this is, this is different. And, and the podcast, but I went to Hawaii last September for a trauma workshop. And after that, things started falling into place, not perfectly, but a lot more. And I started dating a girl and it was really good. And I thought, I've arrived. I did it. It's working. But then there were still struggles. There were still physical boundary issues. And when that came to a head um, and lines got crossed, Christmas night, like two in the morning after Christmas, some things happened and she breaks up with me. And you know, the next day was her birthday. We were going to spend the whole day together. Mm. That didn't happen. And I, kind of like before with the rock bottom moment, I was like, never again. And I wanted to know what happened. Like, what is going on? What am I missing? And as I started diving that, I was extremely depressed for January and February. January and February were horrible this year. Very depressed, but I was also very productive. And as I started just being honest, um, I learned in Hawaii, I had a lot of anger. So I started letting anger out. I told my well, I told God how angry I was at him and at my parents and at my dad for making me feel the ways that I felt. And then as I started processing that, I thought, what do I want? What's my purpose? And I remember in January having this feeling, I looked down at my hands and I had this sense that I'd never had, which is the opposite of never feeling good enough of, I can change the world with these hands. Like, I feel like that's what's God telling me right now. I can do that. And so that's, that's where I'm at now. And luckily, we've moved on from the, the depression part of it so I can dive more into the authenticity of it. I, I legitimately want to change the world. Like, that is why I'm here in this podcast. 
I, I don't know what that's going to entail. Um, I've started writing a blog. I still haven't gotten the second blog post up yet, um, but I'm putting it out there. I started hosting little groups with other men um, based on the book Wild at Heart because I know that a lot of people don't want to go to an addiction recovery meeting. A lot of people don't want to pay for counseling. So I thought, well, if I can just get guys to come together, it's not technically for addiction, but if that's something we want to talk about, you can. And so I have a small group in the Salt Lake area, then a small group in the Provo area meeting once a week. And it's cool because some of these guys have never had a chance to talk about this stuff or be exposed to this stuff. And it's kind of cool to be that guy, to be that guy that they're like, whoa, Hunter's done it. And I'm introducing this to them. And I just want that to be big. I feel like that's what I'm here for. Help change men's hearts. Help change men's hearts. I'm just letting that hold some space. Because I, so I'm going to use a a term of uh, one of our, you know, mentors and good friends, uh, Magic Mark, as he's known. Um, He talks about uh, what he calls Godfidence. So it's not arrogance, right? It's not, it's not confident. You know, arrogance is, uh, you know, grandiose, uh, uh, larger than life, uh, bigger than it really is and augmenting it, you know. And confidence is, I am confident in myself. And he talks about Godfidence is, I am confident in what God has created and put in me. Yeah. And, and that pause I just wanted to hold is that I, the, the, as you're sharing all of that, it just to me speaks to that tone change of I'm doing perfectionism to prove that I'm worthy versus because I know I'm worthy, I'm going to act out of my confidence to go change the world to use, you know, your experience right now. So what do you think was like the big shifts for you that changed that shame narrative and that confidence, confidence? That's so hard to know exactly which moment. Seems like it was going to happen over a course of time. I, I know it came from diving into trauma. Admitting that there was issues, admitting that I have shame, and, and then admitting that I'm angry, and admitting that I'm hurt, and just slowly working through that, slowly doing trauma work, slowly getting through some of that hurt. And it's interesting. Um, it talks about this in, I think it's in the Wild Heart books. I was talking to some people about it the other day. This idea that the places where we feel the weakest, where we have the most insecurity, John Nettle just talks about how that's actually often where our greatest strength truly comes from. And yeah, I feel like the things that I've been the most stressed about that have beat me up the most, that I'm, I'm not doing well in school or that I'm not reaching as many people, I'm not as popular as I want to be, I'm not doing all these things. I, those are the very things that I feel like I have immense capacity for now. Um, not all the time, but that I feel like I'm growing into this immense capacity for. Like Those are the things that God is helping me because it's not just something God wants. It's also something I want to be a magnet to people, to have people attracted to me, to share my light, to help people laugh and to experience joy. Um, like going back to confidence and arrogance, I feel like a big difference between confidence and arrogance for me is comparing myself to other people. Cause when I was in the thick of addiction, I constantly was either better than everyone around me or I was worse than everyone around me. So I was either smarter than everyone in the room or I was dumber than everyone in the room. That's how it was black or white. 
And as I step more into the confidence, I worry less about whether or not I'm better than that guy or doing better than this person and more just I'm doing well. It doesn't matter how I'm doing compared to everyone else. Yeah, I love that. So um, to our fellow perfectionists, as we wrap up the episode here, um, who are wrestling with uh, the trying to earn it in recovery and failing, who uh, maybe are stuck on the try harder or still feel they're unworthy, what would you want to tell them? That it's okay that you feel that way. The last thing I want to do to the perfectionist is say, stop feeling that way. It's okay that you feel that way, but I would hopefully give you an invitation to start opening your heart that the idea that it's okay not to be perfect and to find people that you can be imperfect around and who will hear your story that's not perfect and not have qualms with it and want you to fix all things about it until you can start seeing it yourself. But once again, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, don't think that way. Oh, you feel bad? Stop feeling bad. Because that was, that was what I was doing all the time. Hunter, stop feeling bad. Don't feel that way. That's ridiculous. You're not supposed to feel that way. Right. Hunter, stop. Don't yeah. feel angry. You can't feel angry. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to feel bad and perfectionistic and unworthy. But I really think that that can start to fade and authenticity starts to creep in. And I don't think that's authenticity. Love that. So hunters, you know, um, you know, if everyone, when they share their story, they share a song. You know, we end with a song that is reflective of their heart space, their light, kind of their recovery. And so you had a song. I like the song Soldier On by Sidewalk Prophets. He's getting some uh, some head nods from uh, uh, some of the unashamed crew in here uh, about Soldier On. So before we go to Soldier On, Hunter, just want to say thank you for coming on and being vulnerable and, and sharing your heart with us. You're welcome. So uh, if you are in need of a scholarship um, to come to boot camp program, something like that, we invite you to go on to shamedunafraid.com slash scholarships and apply. Um, if you'd like to join us for the bonus content with Hunter and become part of uh, our outsiders, those who are part of the unashamed movement with us and help us do all of the things, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. And so you can donate at unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. Join us in the bonus content and all the stuff we're doing as outsiders. Um, please give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world rates us and finds us and um, kind of makes all of the things happen. Follow us at social media at Unashamed and Afraid. And join us in the bonus content. Until we see you there, um, we can, are going to invite you to continue to be unashamed. And with that, we will leave you with Soldier On. Find the spark through the wounded
gotta turn back in the heat of attack There's a courage that will not cease Oh, our strength, it grows from a spirit within And our enemy shakes cause we've won the day Before it even begins Through him I can do all things 